Okay, why don't I draw your attention back in? That's great. It's great to have you here with us this morning. My name's Ollie. Uh, I'm one of the leaders around here. I'm just going to be um, leading through this next little bit of our meeting. Um, number one, if you spotted me while Sally was bringing, it was a very heartfelt prayer that was there and it was praying to us, the church, you know, we're connecting with God and I was creeping behind the stage because I felt like this morning was quite like a reflective time of meeting with God and I don't think the Christmas tree got the memo. So like I was standing there and we were leading through and there were moments where I was thinking, I'm really trying to engage with God and the Christmas tree as if it was on, it had gone out on a little party last night and a rave and it was sort of disco raving next to me and I thought this isn't quite capturing the moment of it so I I snuck around the back and I was pressing buttons on the bottom to make it do like a mellow shift that's nicer isn't it did was it just me or did anyone else spot the crazy flashing Christmas tree all right I'm sorry I'm sorry it is it's beautiful alone but it was causing me a mild distraction and I was worried for anyone with epilepsy as well at that point it's just sort of flashing away on the side there I think we should have put a a warning on the side of it um look it's it's great to be able to share with you this morning it's great to be here um actually just before I invite Mo up he's just going to help me lead through on this this little next part of our meeting just want to say we all steward resources it's one of the things of being human you get you're a steward. It's what the garden was created to be stewards. And we all steward resources, whether that's the days that we get given on this earth, whether it's the way that we speak to other people, whether it's the skills, gifts and talents that Andy was talking about, whether it's our material resources in which we have, we are all called stewards of resources. And actually we get to use those to the glory of God's. We get to invest them into eternal things. And on Friday, we're going to celebrate the life of Libby Fleming, who invested some of her resources, her prayer, her time, her talents. She was a head teacher herself, and she paid for two of those teachers at Incozy. She paid their salaries since it began. And she's died. So she can't steward that. She stewarded that resource up until the day that she died, and she no longer can steward that resource because she's not here on this earth. Those days have been, uh, the Lord has said, that's the end of your days, Libby. You're now with me in eternity. And actually, so that is a provocation to us. How do we steward the resources, the days, the time, the talents in which we have been given? How are we going to honour the lives of someone like Libby Fleming in the way that we steward that that God gives to us? Because I don't know when he's going to call me home. It's kind of what Mo's going to share in a second. It's always, I don't know when I'm being called back, but I know that I'm called to steward what I have wisely now to the glory of God. Not just to build myself bigger barns, not just to make sure that my life is more comfortable, not just to make sure that I succeed in all I do. No, it's to glorify God and to love the world in which I live in. And that's what we love. That's what Eminem, sorry, I call it Eminem, Matia. <laughs> That's what Mattia was talking about when she said, actually, I love being in this church. I've been part of this church 20 years, and this is a group of people who know how to steward the resources of God well. That's why we sit in a building that cost a million pounds when it was purchased. So we're able to pay off mortgages, like that thing at the back. So we're able to build schools in Zimbabwe because we steward the resources well. That's a culture of who we are. We're a generous church. And we want to trust God in those ways. It's a church that's continued to live out and be like that. 
That's what it means to be part of this thing. And just in little response, I gave a little financial update to the church here a while ago and a massive thank you already to some that have stepped in to say, actually, we can continue to give or maybe we can give even more generously than we have before. Maybe we can start to give for the very first time locally into all that we do here. So I'm hugely grateful to it. Hugely grateful. We're not there yet. Like I said, we've got a gap of about £60,000 this year that this is a little faith thing and God's saying, are you going to have that? Are you going to receive all that you need to keep going and keep doing all that you're doing as a church? And already we're seeing a little move towards it, but we're nowhere near it. So let's just keep going in faith. Let's keep trusting in God. Let's keep stewarding the resources that he's given to us wisely. Okay. Um, Mo, where are you? She's there. Und- face coverings are a nightmare, aren't they? Because you kind of look and you think, oh, I think you're yeah, somewhere around there. Maybe we should write our names onto our face coverings at the front. So, you know, like when you wear a label and you come to church or people recognise who you are, just write your little name there and you can see it as you stare at someone. Right, we're going to do this in two parts. So I felt, I felt provoked, obviously, last week. I didn't really, I'd prepared a preach, didn't really get a chance to get into John 14 apart from reading it together. And actually what was great is then I thought, I don't think I'm finished on John 14. I want to speak into it a little bit longer and I want to talk into it myself. But then Mo sent me a message straight after and I love, again, I love being in church community like this because she sends me a message and you'll see she's written some books at her back and some of those books are a huge blessing. And go and grab them, read them, talk to Mo about them. Don't just see it as a, this is an Amazon purchase. Someone personally, part of our church community, that's right into the glory of God and actually it will fuel your relationship with him. And so she just sends me a little message and she said, oh, John 14, I was just thinking about dot, dot, dot. And it's crazy because I was reading the book in the morning. It was very much a similar thing. And it captured me because she just said, actually, there's a certainty that Jesus is coming back from John 14. It's a certainty about the fact that he's returning. And I just felt I wanted to spend a bit longer there because we are in a very, very uncertain world and a very uncertain moment in that world as well. Does anyone else feel a bit uncertain at the moment? Feel a little bit like... "Mm." kind of hope this is going to happen but I'm not really sure I'm an eternal optimist so I'm going to believe that it's going to happen but it probably won't you know I'm, I'm looking over at Caleb and Nikki how many times have you had to replan your wedding three we're up to three times of replanning wedding but you're getting married in January come on praise the Lord. That's the sort of uncertain world we live in. A few years ago, you didn't have to plan your wedding three times just in case you got lockdowns and all those things that are going. But there is one thing that I can be absolutely certain about. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. (laughs) He's coming back. So why don't we put our hands together. Let's give Mo a massive, massive welcome. And she's going to share to us about Jesus coming back. Who's that? I'm going to perch here. Well, talking of weddings, in Jesus' time, there were three stages to a wedding. But I'm going to talk about the second stage. (laughs) I won't tell you about all of them. No time. The second stage of the wedding, there were various things that happened like rings and blessings and cups. But the bit that really sealed it was when the bride took the cup of wine and drank it. When she took that cup of wine, that sealed the contract, it sealed the covenant that they were then committed to one another for life. And they made vows, very important vows to each other. But then once the ceremony was completed, 
they were not allowed to live together for a period of approximately one year. How about that, eh? Waiting all this time and then have to wait another year. But at this stage, even though they had not and would not sleep together, the vows were taken so seriously and were so binding that it would need a divorce to separate them. And then, only on the proper grounds that the bride was found not to be a virgin. Now this was a situation that Mary and Joseph were in when Mary conceived Jesus by the Holy Spirit. They were betrothed. They'd gone through the second stage of marriage. The vows were binding. Now why was it important for this one year to be them to be separated for? Well, it was important because the family land was tied up in a man's inheritance. And it was important to make sure that that land stayed within the family. It was impossible to think of the son of another family, or even worse, the son of another tribe inheriting their land. It was vital for their history, for their genealogy. Land established who they were in their family, their tribe, and in their nation. Waiting for one year after the betrothal ceremony was needed for the proof of the bride's purity that she was not already pregnant. You see, we know it takes nine months (laughs) to have a baby. But in those days, they didn't have scans and they didn't have all these things that we can find out about pregnancy nowadays. So they just thought, well, a year's a good one. Won't carry as long as a year. When the betrothal ceremony was complete, the bride and groom would return to their own homes. They'd return to their normal lives with their parents and their siblings. But before they parted, the groom would give gifts to his bride. Before Jesus parted, (laughs) he promised us gifts, didn't he? Many gifts. No, I won't go into it now. I shall get tempted otherwise. (laughs) But before they left that, that, that ceremony, he would encourage his bride by saying, while we're apart, I am going to prepare a place for you and me. I will come back. I will return for you when it's ready. I'll come and get you. <laughs> now the bride would go home after the ceremony and she would prepare herself. She would make herself ready for that day when the groom would come for her. Whereas the bridegroom would go home and he would prepare, build a room in or added on to his father's house 
for himself and his bride. You see, they didn't have their individual houses. They all were families. And they lived as families, extended families. And he was going to be there in, with his family. And she, his bride, would join him. Now, he wasn't allowed to skimp on the work. His father would make sure that he did a good job. And he was only allowed to go and claim his bride when he had received his father's approval that that room was ready. Now... Only when the room it was ready and the father was happy could he go and claim his bride. And there is a lovely ceremony <laughs> as he goes to claim his bride, but I won't tell you that now either because it's not time. <laughs> but I tell you this, this is where the parable of the virgins comes in with their lamps because they didn't know exactly which day the bridegroom was coming. So they had to be ready. It was about a year, they'd heard news that the room might be ready, so they just had to be there with their lamps lit, waiting. And often weddings took place, I think usually weddings took place, in the evening, after all the work was done, so that a whole community could join in. They didn't have to have a day off. But it was only when the father said so that he could go and claim his bride for the final stage. And only after that final stage, that third stage of the marriage ceremony, could the man and the wife come together. Could the marriage be consummated. And the bride would leave her family and become far, part of his family, his father's family. It's why Paul said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Have you ever wondered why he didn't say, and a woman should do the same? It's because she'd already done it. When she got married, she left her parents' home. She left everything with her parents' family and moved in. And she was part of his family. What Jesus was trying to convey to his disciples in scripture that we read of has been lost to most of us over the years. Because we don't understand the culture. We can understand a certain amount, but when we understand a culture, you can understand so much more. And at the last supper, the, the Lord Jesus wanted to reassure his disciples that he was going away, but he would definitely return for them. So he used the well-known illustration of the groom preparing a place in his father's house for himself and his bride. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may also be where I am. The disciples would have understood what he was talking about because it was a custom of the day. 
the Jewish wedding. And by using the analogy of the wedding and the groom returning for his bride, it was Jesus' way of telling his disciples, though it might seem a long time to wait, I will return. There will be a place for you and there will be a place for us to live with him in his father's house. And this analogy also confirmed what he told them in Matthew 24, verse 36, that the timing of his return wasn't up to him. About that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father knows. Keith, have you got Keith? Could you just bring up that John fourteen just quickly there? Let's just read it again together. So we're just gonna we're gonna confirm this to each other and then we're gonna break bread. Mo's love it. She you know she sent me that as a as a little email that I was reading on Monday morning. I just thought, oh, just blesses my heart when when you do. I, 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 I'm getting to know scripture better because I read it and I love reading scripture and I love thinking about it. But I love being around people who do. They just illuminate scripture to you and they bring out truth and you think, hang on a minute, there's something deeper going on here that maybe I've missed. So it just says this, let not your hearts be troubled. I think, that's, I think again, that's, a, that's the thing Jesus would say to us today. Let not your hearts be troubled. Why? Believe in God. Don't have to worry about whether you believe in Boris. Don't have to worry about whether you believe in the vaccine. Don't have to worry if you believe in the future or in the stock market or in your boss at work or in your spouse or in your kids or in your friends or in the turkey that you're meant to be picking up before Christmas. None of those things gives you a confidence like believing in God. And Jesus says, believe also in me because in my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go, if, so he's saying this at the point where they don't know that he's going. We look back now and we're able to say, not if he goes, he has gone. He's gone before us. He's gone. He's declared it finished, the accomplished work of Christ. All completed, all sufficient sacrifice on our behalf. He has gone. He has made a way. And so he says, if I've gone and prepare a place for you, what will I do? I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may also be. That is a huge assurance that we live in the good of today. Christian, if you're a Christian, you live in the assurance of knowing that he has gone, he has prepared a place for you and he is returning to bring you to himself. That is your future. That is your eternal destiny is knowing that he has made a place for you and he is coming to bring you to himself, not to someone else, but to bring you to himself. You are dear and precious, known, you belong to him. And if you don't yet know him, how do you receive? You believe in God's. That's how you receive the covenant promises of God. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, it doesn't say, do this. It says, believe in me. Believe, put your trust, put your hope, put your faith, put your expectation in the fact that he has done it and he is coming to bring you back to himself. 
So what we're going to do is we're going to break bread with each other. And this doesn't need to be a somber moment in which we just wait. As we said, this is like a wedding feast. What You said it was like the cup. Go on, Mo. You interrupt me. Don't, I'm, trust me, I'm, I don't mind an interruption. Well, can I just say that the word for wine is the same word as for banquet. And when he says that he's brought me into his banqueting table and his banner over me is love. It's all connected with wine and the covenant and the commitment that's in the covenant. Amazing. And that's it. And so we're going to, with one another now, we're going to pray with one another and we're going to thank him that he has made the covenant. That they, when Mo said it earlier, as we drink it, it's that moment of saying, it's done. The, we, we give a ring now in symbol, in symbol but there was a moment in which the cup was drunk and said it is done we're in commitment with one another now and we're reminding ourselves once again that his body was broken on our behalf and we're in commitment to God with, one, um, with him and so let's do that let's, let's break bread with each other now let's pray I think Rich is going to come and just lead us in a song in that moment I'm going to get Mo just to pray as we come into land as well with it as well so why don't we come on let's, let's break bread with each other let's pray Start to thank him. Thank him for his covenant with us. I want to to send us this morning. I want to send us with three little things in our heads. You can can grab your seats if you want or stand. I don't mind. Whatever you want to do. Get that uncomfortable bit. Like, should I stand? Should I sit? Won't be long. I want to send us with three things. So what you to say to me, number one, what's the most important thing in life? Say that back to me. What's the most important thing in life? You know, I want us to actually be people over this Christmas period. We've been talking a lot about this as a team recently. I need to receive from God first and foremost. I need to put the oxygen mask on myself. I need to know that I'm refreshed and renewed in Him. But I live in a broken world. I need to proclaim the good news, what Jesus is about. And just these three little questions, I want to send you into the world with these three questions this week. Because if you go out and you ask people this week, what's the most important thing in life? You're going to get a variety of answers. Actually, what people are telling you in that point is it's their doctrine of God. The way they answer it is what their God is. What's the most important thing in life? If someone says, it's friendship, you know, it's having mates around me. It's making sure that I leave a mark and a legacy. It's making sure that I'm remembered by the next generation. It's making sure that I've got a family who love me. It's making sure that I make a load of money. It's making sure that I have a lot of fun. Whatever those things, whatever people's answer to that is, they are revealing immediately their theology of God's. What's important to them? You know, Christian, we're not going to answer this now, but just ask people that question this week. I wonder, what's the most important thing in life? I was just thinking about that question recently. What do you think it is? See where that leads you in a conversation. And then the second one, say this to me. What's the problem with the world? Say that to me. What's the problem with the world? What's the problem? You got it. Elaine can't help it. She wants to answer now. (laughs) You go into the world and you ask a Christian, what's the most important thing in life? And then what's, what's the problem with the world? People will tell you immediately their theology of sin, their theology of, 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 of the problem with what's going on, and immediately it will reveal itself. You might say, oh, do you know the problem is a Tory government? Do you know what's the problem with the world? It's greed. 
What's, what's the problem with the world deforestation? We're not going to have a we're not going to have a planet for the future. What's the problem with the world's capitalism? What's the problem with the world's the rise of China? I don't know what someone might say to you, but they will. They will reveal things that people say in their heart. What's the most important thing in life? What's wrong with the world? How are we going to fix it? There's three questions to go with this week. Jesus was brilliant at this, leaving questions for his people. You notice in John 14, questions he says to his disciples because he wants to draw out of them thinking. We're not meant to be people who just literally just 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 digest and, and, and spit out information we've never engaged in this bit between our ears. Some of us got bigger ones and some of us got smaller ones. But even the smallest little ones, they can think. And they ask that question, what's 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 the most important thing in the world? What's wrong with the world? And what's the solution? Christian, we have good news. Because John 14 tells me that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Tells me that if I want to know the Father, I know the Son. Tells me that he's made a way for me. That there is a way through all of this. There is a way to navigate through life. And Jesus teaches us a better way. Christian, Jesus teaches you a better way today. Teaches you a better way to be human. And we are released, resourced, equipped, enabled with the good news of the gospel that the world longs to hear. We are ambassadors of Christ, sent out to represent him in the world in which we live in. And sometimes it's by binding up the brokenhearted. Sometimes it's by sponsoring people in needs. Sometimes it stands alongside and provides in physical ways, but more often than not, it's pointing people towards Jesus. It's the greatest tool in which we have. He's saying, he's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. You want to know what's the most important thing of life? Get to know Jesus. Amen. You want to know what the problem is in life? It's you. And you want to know the solution? A personal relationship with the one who made you, who knows you, who loves you, who accepts you, who makes a way for you, and who is coming back to bring you to himself. We are a people that are equipped with good news. Church, leave with good news today. Invite people next weekend to hear it presented, the good news of the gospel presented here on the 19th. Can do it a couple of times in the morning. We want to tell people, we want to shout it from the rooftops, Jesus is alive, Jesus is good, he's the son of God and he's coming back. Okay, so let me pray and then we're going to go. We can, we'll sing as we go as well because I always feel like a little, little jovial song. But come on, Lord, I pray that we would be ambassadors of Christ in all that we do this week. Lord God, I want to thank you that we've been rescued and redeemed. I want to thank you that we've been changed and transformed. Jesus, I want to thank you that you're coming back. Jesus, I want to thank you that you transform our lives. Lord, I thank you that we're a holy people. We've been set apart for your plans and purposes. Thank you, Lord, that you have made a way for us. I haven't got to find a way myself. I've got to get to know you. You bring us into life. You bring us into light. We thank you that in the darkness you have shone, that a great light has shone in the darkness. And Lord God, we we declare you today. We declare you this week. I pray with King's Church, with the men and women in this building today, be equipped by the power of the Holy Spirit to leave us those who know and love you, to serve the world in which we live in, to proclaim Jesus and to tell him that Jesus is coming back to make all things new. Jesus, we worship you. We love you. We put our trust in you. And we pray that we would go equipped in the power of the Holy Spirit for your glory and fame. And the people of God together can say, Amen. Amen.
Amen. Let's go, church. Let's sing.